Yeshiva was founded in 1968 in the aftermath of the Six-Day War. They were able to return to Gush Etzion. Part of the plan of rebuilding Gush Etzion was having Yeshiva here help to be built. And Rav Amital became a uh, central public figure because of his role as the head of this Yeshiva, a very large head of the Yeshiva. And in the early 90s, Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated and seemingly was done by a religious Jew, not getting into that. And uh, because of who Rav Amital was, the fill-in Prime Minister Shimon Peres asked him to join his uh, cabinet as a Sarbalitik. And Rav Amital, as we all know the story of the crying baby, always considered being part of the public and the public eye, uh, playing a role in society is something very important. He accepted the role. But we know very little about it, most of us here in the yeshiva, because we, the little bit we know of Rav Amital is his role in yeshiva. So to give us a different perspective on a Rav Amital, we have here his right-hand ma man, who is also a Talmud in yeshiva, Rav Amital, and a little distant relative of Rav Amital. So uh, I'm fascinated to hear uh, what Avrami Yishai has to say. Please welcome him. Okay. Uh, I speak in English as much as I can. And Jonathan said he'll help me when I'll be missing a few words. And you can help me. So. Um, since uh, I don't know about his right hand because if I was his right hand so he had two left hands and that's not so good um, since I was also a Talmud before I was uh, with him when he was a minister I want to start from 1982 which is the year when I joined the Shiva and uh, say two things that were very uh, meaningful for me in the connection with Rav Amital. Uh, that started, it began then, of course, and then as, year, as years passed, uh, as a Talmud and later on. Um, but one thing before that. Sometimes people say that big people or people who are considered to be uh, very important are like mountains. That means that when you're far away and you look at this mountain and you see it and you think, wow, it's a, what an impressive mountain. And when we get close, we start seeing the cracks and the, the and it's not so perfect. So you say, ah, it's not as big as I thought. I must tell you that in my experience with Rava Mital, the closer I got to him, and another thing, the more years pass and maybe I'm older than he was when I met him, now. He's just greater and greater in my eyes. Um, so I think that says about a lot from my small perspective about his uh, personality. And what I try to do in the um, three quarters of an hour that we have together is to tell you uh, a few stories, a few
few insights of the experience of getting up every morning, going to the to an office in the Prime Minister's office in Jerusalem, and being with the Rabbi Mita. But as I said before, I want to start in 1982. I came, I started the yeshiva in Elul, Tafshin Membet, um, a year. A few months earlier, the first Lebanon uh, war broke out, and the Israeli army was deep inside Lebanon at that time. I don't know how many of you know the story, but there were uh, Christian uh, citizens of Lebanon that were actually on our side, and there were the Shiites and the Palestinians, which were our enemies, not immediately, but as time went on, worse and worse. And there was an incident where uh, later the Prime Minister Alex Sharon, who was the Minister of uh, 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 Defense Minister at that time, let's say it in the easiest way, enabled the Christians to go into two refugee camps, Sabra and Shatila in Lebanon, and they the terrible things there, they killed women, children, of course men, a big massacre. And uh, there was a big debate in Israel at that time, how, how much are we responsible for this, and how much do we have to take upon ourselves. And Rava Mital, which was, as usual, unique and very, very brave, while many of his students were in Lebanon, and this is, as years went by, I understood how courageous it was from him to stand up to the Israeli public and say, as Shlomo mentioned before, Rab Shlomo, the, we have a moral responsibility about what happened there. And Rabbi Nitab paid a very high price in the Tzionut uh, Adatit uh, and in at least half of the population of Israel that were very angry at him. But as we will see also in, in the time of his being a minister, the main, I, I think one of the main things that led him was what is done is Kiddush Hashem and what is Chilul Hashem. And when he saw something which is a terrible Chilul Hashem, he couldn't say, stay silent. And he did what he had to do. And as I said before, time and time again, he paid the personal prices for doing that. But he, the truth, was the, the most important thing. And that was, I remember, I, I was young. I didn't know a lot or anything about him. And I was Shiro Aleph. Rav Tavori, was my Ram. He was the Rosh Hashiva, Rav So this was, this came out, and it was very difficult for us as young students to understand this. How, how can he say such things? He was right, and he was courageous. The second big lesson I learned at that time, I don't even remember what, what the debate was about. I think about the Amit, but I'm not sure. That was a bit earlier. I don't know why I was here. But at that time, I don't know. Is it Mustafa time? Okay. At that time, in the rear, rear pole of the Beit Midrash, there was a little box, a thermostat, and when it would want to tell us what's going on, so there was a note put on the thermostat. So the note said that on Mosei Shabbat there's going to be something in the Beit Midrash, a Sicha. 
So we all gathered, and I, again, I don't remember even what it was about. But it was something which was, again, in a big debate in the Tzionut uh, Adatit at that time. And Rabbi Mital got up and gave his opinion. Then he went, came down and invited Hanan Porat, Zichonoli Bracha from Kfar Etzion, who was one of the people that invited Rabbi Mital to be the Rosh Hashiva here. And although he was his rabbi and he was a student in a certain way, there were, I think, they were always debating. And Hanan gave his idea and his view and then Rabbi Mital went up again and he said, okay, you heard my view, you heard his view, now it's your challenge. Do something about it. You decide. You never, you would never come and say, this is the truth, this is what you have to do. We had no, uh, di- how do you say, no discounts. You didn't do the work for us. We had to do the work by ourselves. That was the biggest, uh, I think, educational message that, or idea that he taught us then, and it's already uh, 40 years. Yeah, yeah. And I remember this again. I don't remember what it was about. Oh, Shlomo is always with the... When he, when he starts forgetting, I'll start worrying. In the meantime, it's still working. Okay. I never remember, so I will not... It will be harder for me to see when I'm over the hill. Um, okay. So, um, so this is like before we start. Now let's start talking about the the time itself when he was minister. As uh, Shlomo mentioned, um, or Rabin was assassinated uh, by a religious Jew, and this is not something we should ignore because this was one of the reasons why Rabbi Mital felt that uh, he should accept the invitation of Prime Minister Peres at that time. By the way, and uh, Shlomo, if I'm wrong, tell me, Rabin himself had the idea of bringing Aramital in to the government because of the difficult times and the big uh, tension there was with the uh, um, people in Yudavid, the religious, uh, national religious movement. But then he was assassinated, and uh, Peres invited him in, and he came. A few, a couple of months after he was posted, I was working there as a legal advisor in the police. Um, there was a little shifting, and I was able to <coughs> join and to uh, be part of his uh, staff. And uh, those were the greatest months of my life. To get up every morning, to go to the office, and to see our Mital, and to be with him all day, it was like the biggest present you can get. Uh, so I want to tell you a few anecdotes of those times, and maybe through that you will be able to uh, learn more about his personality, um, which I'm sure you hear about a lot in Yeshiva, but in other, uh, in other ways. Um, Some people criticized him that he wanted to become a minister because uh, he wanted to become a minister and have the benefits, a big nice car. At those times, uh, ministers were driving around in Volvos, okay? So somebody, I know who, I can say his name, I won't say his name, 
said, ah, he went to be a minister for the Volvo. Okay, like, uh, that was like the highest, uh, wow, a Volvo. So I want to tell you this story. One thing I learned about from our other time, another thing was that when you are invited to some place, don't come late. Important people always come late. Let the, let, the, let, the, let the group wait for him. He's important, right? So they'll sit, and when he comes in, Ramitar always used to leave early, never to be late, never should, people shouldn't wait for him. So one day, we were sitting in the, the office, was, as I said before, where the Prime Minister's office is today also. There was a, we had a certain area which we were there. And in the, uh, I don't know what, what it's called today, the hotel in the entrance to the city, the tall hotel, it's Holiday Inn now, or whatever it was. At that time, I think it was Hilton. The, the, the tallest hotel when you come into the city. There was a group from the States that were, uh, he was invited to speak in front of them. It's about five minute drive from the office. So let's say we had to be there at 11. So at 10.30, he says to me, please call the driver. Okay, so I, uh, Yair, his name was. So I tried to telephone, he had a telephone for something new, he didn't answer, he had a beeper, I sent him a message, he doesn't answer, Time, the, the minutes are passing. So then Robert asked to me, are you here with the car? I said, yes. I had, uh, we were just a young, a young couple, we had a very old Subaru, not very clean, not very neat. So Robert says, okay, let's go. Went down to the parking lot with the he was he had a bodyguard at that time. So imagine this picture, okay? An old bashed up Subaru. Rava Mital sits in the sitting in the back. The uh, bodyguard in the front. I'm driving. We get to the hotel. We go up, you know, where the doorman stands. We stop in front of the doorman. The, the uh, Bodyguard gets out, opens the door to Aramital, Aramital comes out. That's the great minister that came for the Volvo. By the way, the driver came five minutes later. Why did you wait for me? Aramital said, okay. So that's what's important. Not to be late, not to cause people to waste time because of you. And even if you appear not with the Volvo, but with my Subaru, nothing to write home about. So that was one thing. I never uh, tried to argue with him about taking these minutes or half an hour earlier. Once, I did. There was a, a great professor that they were very, very good friends, Professor Rosensby. Uh, he was a professor of law, very important person in Israel at those times. Uh, he was very. He, he had cancer. He was very, very ill. I happened to. We were in Tel Aviv one time, and he went to say to say goodbye because it was obvious that that's their last meeting. And I was just sitting there and listening. And a couple of weeks later, he passed away. And Baba Mita was asked, of course, to speak at the funeral, which was in Tel Aviv. So I think funeral was like something like three o'clock, and at one thirty, he wants to leave already. Okay, from Tel Aviv to, Tel Aviv to from Jerusalem. I said, okay, this time I'm going to say something because to wait in a lobby of a hotel is fine. To wait, but to wait in a cemetery for three quarters of an hour is a bit... So I told him, maybe we can leave a bit later. So he said, okay, another quarter of an hour. So then 
time came, we get into the Volvo, and uh, I sat in back with him. And outside of Jerusalem, near Telstone, there was an accident, and there was a traffic jam. Well, I didn't say anything. And I, you know, in the car you have this part of, you know, where the back is and where the, you sit, right? I wanted to disappear into this hole between those two parts of the, of the seat. But I didn't say anything. By the way, after time, the time he stood in the traffic jam, we still came early. <laughs> I never tried to argue with him again about that. Whenever you want to leave, we'll leave, no problem. Um, Alamital was officially a minister without a portfolio, but he did have, uh, he got, uh, Shimon Peres asked him to be in charge. I think he asked Paris to be, it was like mutual, the, the, in, in charge of the connection with the diaspora. And he had also many, many people met with Jews from outside the country, met with him here, and he also traveled. One of the times, I, I joined him once, uh, when he traveled to the United States. Uh, again, because of his uh, views, he had a bodyguard also from the Shabak also there. And uh, when we were there for maybe five, no, five, seven days, I don't remember. When we came back, the guy says to me, I'm beat. Nobody works like the Rabbi Mita works. You know, they, they have a meeting or two, then you rest. We were in these five days in New York, Cleveland, Washington, back to New York, in each place, meetings, lectures, etc., etc. Uh, I have a picture to prove it. That's it between you. We visited the White House, and Dada Mittal, let's put it this way, Al Gore, who was the vice president at the time, I had the privilege to meet with the Rabbi Mittal. <laughs> and uh, look, in the perspective, perspective of time, who remembers Al Gore? And what is his influence in the world? Rabbi Mittal is Rabbi Mittal. But here's another story about him. After we were in the, in the White House, um, yes, I was young once. Yes. Before I started to dye my hair, White, I had color. Um, we came back to the hotel, and right, you know, a half hour later, we were leaving for a, a uh, gathering of uh, Orthodox, Reform, and Conservative uh, people. It was Ramital at that time. As I said, it was, it was very important for him to get to everybody. So although this also wasn't very popular for an Orthodox rabbi to give you know, the honors to reform people, Jews, etc., etc., it was done. But that's not the story. The story is that when he went up to his room, I sat down with a guy from the embassy and we wrote some kind of a, um, um, something in the newspaper. At that time, there wasn't internet yet. Uh, a press release, thank you. And we wrote what we wrote, and he came down, we showed it to him, fine. And then he says to me, did you eat anything? I told him, no, Amitav, we have to go, we have to be on time, let's go. Did you eat anything? No. 
go up to my room, they brought me those sandwiches, take some, and then we'll go. I didn't check, but statistically, I have a hunch that most uh, people who had a role like I did to be uh, right hand of a minister didn't have this kind of a minister that would ask them, did you eat? And for someone who, to be on time, is very important for him, he said, we'll wait. You go up, take something to eat, and we'll go then. So you have to understand how, I don't say, who am I to say this, but what a minch. Uh, besides being so great in Torah and everything else. It didn't, one thing didn't come on the uh, account of the other. Um, Ram Mittal had a great sense of humor. I think everybody who knew him remembers. I told Jonathan, you see, I, I actually can go because I already got my salary for tonight. So I told Jonathan that I'm going to tell you something, a joke, which, I, which we know about books. You know the story. Ram Mittal used to say about two Jews that met on the way to a bar mitzvah. And one was carrying a book for, as a present, and the other was carrying an umbrella. So you, you asked him, what's the umbrella for? He says, it's a present for the bar mitzvah. An umbrella? I said, yes. An umbrella, at least I know this we will open once at least. A book, I don't know. So uh, we were on Shabbat in New York, in Manhattan, and we went to a, uh, a shul. So we came, it was uh, a great chazan there with all of the, you know, the hat and everything else. And we sat in the back. And then suddenly someone understood this is Ramita, so they approached him and they invited him to sit in front. So I stayed in back with the bodyguard and Ramita was in front. And then the Chazan started doing his, uh, his stuff. So Ramita turns back to us. So that was, uh, those were the moments. He used to say that sense of humor is a sgula for Yirat And once, at least, I heard also an explanation from him about that. He said, someone who has a sense of humor takes, he has a proportion in life, proportions. Uh, what's more important, what's less important, more healthier attitude to life. Um, and the, the head of the office, very good friend of ours, of our, Yossi Bengal, and myself, we used to read the newspapers every day. We used to get a, uh, something that ministers can have such a service. There is a certain uh, company that takes out every day from the, from the uh, media what was said about this minister, about this office, etc. And you get, you get, you don't have to go through the old newspapers, they do it for you. And we used to get the material and go through it and see what, what's, what should we deal with, etc. And um, as I said, things weren't going very well with the Siyonut uh, feet, And many untruthful things were said. And we used to like to, let's, let's write, let's do something about it. We used to sit with him. He said, Chevre, always with him. He says, first of all, tomorrow, 
these new scrapers, they're going to wrap off the fish, so nothing to worry about. And, but more importantly, he said, I wasn't sent to this mission by the Tzimut Adati. I belong to the whole, uh, all, the, all the citizens of, of Israel. That's my mission. And in this case, also the, the diaspora. Uh, this book, I'm sure you saw, which has people wrote about Aramitan. I will read something short that he said. I'll read it in Hebrew and I will translate it if we need. Uh, this was in a different time when he was abroad. I, I wasn't with him that time. It was the Jewish Congress in Moscow. We got together and it was very important for him to be there. And he, he repeated this uh, idea many times, a few times, but that time it was more, it was, uh, became public. I'll read it in Hebrew. Kibadi Tazmana, Meshamesh Kisab and Meshet Israel, Belev Kavid. Achmitoch Tushat Achrayut, Klapea Am, Klapea Tora. It Palalti, Shibetadze, Uhalet Sazem Ksat, Et Hilula Shema Nora, Shigaram Otoma Se Retzach Mitoav. So I can be a witness. Uh, Rabbi Mital had, a, it was very difficult for him to leave the Yeshiva. And I'm not exaggerating, but he, from the, you know, being in the government, not being, meeting with Jews, etc., that was great. But to sit in the, uh, every Sunday for five hours and hear the prime minister and minister telling, bragging about them, so he suffered. He suffered. But he felt that he had to take this mission. And I, once a week he came to the yeshiva, and gave a shiur kali every two weeks. That he didn't, uh, he, he tried not to miss. But otherwise, he missed the Beit Midrash very, very much. But he knew that what he's doing maybe, and that's because the murder uh, Igal Amir was with a kippah on his head. I don't think we can say that he was religious. I don't think anything is uh, can, positive can be said about this person. But the public looked at him and said, so this is what comes out <coughs> of being uh, connected to Torah. So Rav Mikhail felt that he had to be there as a Rosh Hashivat is there, as an Orthodox rabbi regarding the diaspora. Yes, I'm part of this government. I'm part of the Klan Israel. And um, I won't want to um, stop reading here, but he, he, he mentioned how he was greeted so warmly in uh, all of this, all of this, all the places he got to, people he met, Jews and non-Jews. One of the things which I still don't understand today because I was part of the, I was a civil servant for most of my uh, grown-up life, and I see what, uh, how how much time it takes to accomplish things. So this is a little uh, chover that we, we created when, when the time was, when, when Rabbi Mittal went back to the yeshiva, when the, the first time actually Netanyahu became prime minister in 1996. And this sums up the things that were done. And when you look, you read this chover and you say, how did he accomplish all these things in such a short time? Also, some... Uh, Influences on very, very important laws. 
which again, uh, there is the law of Pundikaut. Okay. Now this is something which of course is very, very uh, uh, sensitive religiously. And this is a very, very good example for the situation where the ministers that respected Al-Mital, and not because of political pressure and we will uh, vote against the, the government of Al-Mital, didn't have any parliamentary force. He didn't have people in Knesset. It was him by himself as a minister, not as a Knesset member. He, he couldn't raise his hand for or against the government. So it was all about respecting him and what he presents. And the law, with a, a very talented legal advisor, the Ada Cohen, that was part of the team also, was written in the way that Brother Mitar said, this is okay. Halakhaki. I just want to imagine, or don't want to imagine, if this such a law would have been in debate, and what what would be going on, and deals are going to would be would be uh, um, um, negotiated, and we'll do this, add a word. This was done with Al Shalom because the respect they had to uh, towards the Rabbanita. Um Since I was the the clown in the team. So I was in charge of a different project. Aramital got a budget of one million shekel, which was a lot of money. Still is, but in 1995, six, it was even more. That was devoted to uh, create Jewish art, Jewish uh, movies, something in that, because I, I, you can still go today to visit the, the Rabbanit, but when you come into Rabbi Mital's house, you'll see uh, art books. Of course, the, the majority of the books are Sifai uh, Kodesh, but um, that's another thing. Whenever I came into the house, uh, you can, of course, say more about that. He was always sitting alone, always sitting alone sitting in his corner, he had a desk in the corner, always sitting alone. But he had a lot of interest in the wide world and art, and when he was abroad, he would go to a museum, not when he was a minister. But. And um, so this was something important for him. So we had some kind of a uh, procedure of choosing people who are, would create something Jewish, not religious, Jewish, Israeli, and a few people won and got their share of the million shekel and went out to do their stuff. And then the government ended its days. So I'm talking back to the yeshiva. That's it. One day the telephone rings in my right telephone and I see Aramitav. So I froze and I answered. And he said to me, they called me up that um, one of the guys who made the movies is having his... Uh, yeah, in the Cinematheque in Tel Aviv. Maybe you, if you want to come with me, maybe we'll go. I said, sure. You get an invitation, go to the movies. <laughs> so we went out to Tel Aviv, to the Cinematheque, and Raul Mital spoke for a few minutes, and then he said, okay, let's go back to Jerusalem. <laughs> and as we were walking out of the Cinematheque, we didn't stay for the movie, um, 
again, I don't remember what the movie was about, but where what's, what I'm going to tell you now, I remember exactly where it happened. I can show, point it out, and this, where the street has happened. We are w walking back to the parking lot, and in, approaching us were three guys, the most stereotype you can think of, the Tel Aviv, Hiloni, completely, you know, you know. Okay, we see them approaching us, we pass them, and then as we were passing them, one of them turns back and he says, with a lot of uh, limus, he says, Ata Rava Mital? says, yes, I mean, Rava Mital. So he says to him, I said in Hebrew, I said in English, Tadalecha, Shata Harav Hayechidi, Shibishuto, and Imuchan Nishmoa Mashu, Shikashu Beyadut. Okay, you're the only rabbi, but because of you, I'm willing to hear something that's got to do with Yahadut, with Judaism. And his ability to, to be someone that I think it's because, as we said, we started, the truth, to be a man of truth, and out of his private uh, interest in and what he needs and what his uh, respect will be. Although, you know, I, I don't have to, you can see it in the YouTube where he tells the story about the, that he's Rodef Achrei Kavod and the way one of his students was very, tried to explain to him that he's not Rodef Achrei Kavod. He says, I like Kavod. Avnita liked Kavod, fine. But he, that wasn't what motivated him at those places, and I think people felt that, and were, when they wanted to hear something that they could connect to, so Rabbi Michal was, was the relevant rabbi for that, and I remember that moment uh, very clearly. Um, he didn't say anything after that, but being near him the way I was at those times, his face, he had this, this look in his eyes, it was very, very, it meant a lot to him to hear that. Just from someone in the street, it was very, a very special, a very special moment. Um, okay. Um, another thing that he dealt with at those times was the, uh, Organization called Edi, Adi, Edi, which deals with uh, people who tragically pass away and or accident, etc. That they're willing to give their organs to people who need them. Halakhically, uh, of course, in his view, but I think it's almost a consensus that halakhically, once it's uh, the the moment of death is is there according to halakha. So it's not only permissible, but it's important if you can save other people by giving by someone who gives organ to someone else. And he uh, spent a lot of time, including uh, letters to Rabeliyahu uh, at that time and others, to support this halachic attitude um, because in this sensitive matter, there's more because. We don't know what death really is and what's expected. After that, we think we know, we don't know. And people are very uh, mystic about it. And uh, statistics are very bad for, the, for Israel. 
in terms of how many people are willing to sign the Eddie uh, card and uh, and families that have to take this decision. So we're not very uh, high up in that till today. And he saw that as one, something very, very important to deal with and again, went out of his way, gave honors to everyone to the honor, rabbis and others, as long as they would go with him. And, and uh, we had uh, two days, May Yun, about this publicly, which he came and talked in front of the people to convince them that it's okay, now it's okay, it's important. Um, One more thing I wanted to, uh, to talk about. Shlomo hinted it, uh, gave a remus before, but uh, <laughs> we're also very close friends and also family, so it's... Um, although he wasn't, as I said before, wasn't sent by the Tzinut Adatit, there were a few things that he did behind the screens that people don't know about. And I will give you a couple of examples to help the Tzimut of the Tith and the, and the building of Yudav uh, Shomun. First of all, still in the time of Rabin, he got a promise, I think even in writing, from Rabin, first of all, the Jerusalem will never be divided. And secondly, today, everybody, uh, the most right wing uh, Bennett, etc. Sorry about the politics. Say, well, let's uh, um, make the uh, what's called the sea areas in Judea Samaria and the Bikah part of Israel. And that's a, if it hasn't happened yet, and it's considered a big achievement if it will happen. So Rav Amital at that time with the Neymar uh, movement, which I never was a part of, because I worked for the government. Uh, that was their idea. And he, was, he really preceded this and got agreements that the Gushet Yashvut, which we're talking about today, already then, in the 90s, he had promises that they will, will become part of the state of Israel. And he helped uh, getting permits for building in different places at those times. But there are two stories I want to tell you which are really unknown, I think. There was one guy, uh, again, I remember the name, but I want to say the name, a young guy who was uh, caught preparing ammunition and, uh, for, for doing uh, harmful things to Arabs. And he was imprisoned, he was tried and imprisoned because of that. And then his father was very, very ill and had cancer and was going to die. I was on his way to Olam And people came from his biggest, from Al-Mitzal's biggest uh, Yerivim. Yerivim. Right. And said, can you help us? Do something about it that he will be able to go and say goodbye to his father before he, he leaves this world. So Ravita sent me to the, uh, in the Prime Minister's office, 
there is the Maskir uh, Tzvei, the uh, yeah, and he's the connection between the Prime Minister and all of the um, the army, Shabak. He, he's the guy to talk to. So he told me, go talk to him, tell him that this is a it's, it's a matter of, of, of really few days, and if you want to meet his father now. So I went, and they said they turned to the Shabak. I don't know what the reasons why, but they said, impossible. You can't let this guy out of jail to go visit his father. <coughs> I came with the answer, I laid it on guitar. He said, no, go again. And I went again. The Tsarenu, he didn't, it was late, too late, but he did, they did let him out of the Shiva. He sat with his mother and with his family. And this Ramital did quietly to the people and think this guy is, resembles everything Ramital was against. Okay, this is like Igal Zamir, Igal Amir's twin brother. I mean, they're preparing ammunition to do very bad things. That's one story. The other story was, one day the legal advisor of the Prime Minister's office, his name was, is Achaz Ben-Ari, came up, he, he, it's very interesting, this guy, Achaz, wrote the name, which Jewish mother or father calls his son Achaz, okay? So, he, did, he knew nothing about religion or anything else, but he was like a magnet. Every couple of days, he would find a reason to come up to see a he wanted the connection, like the story about the, the cow that everybody knows. I don't have to repeat it. What? They know it. They know it. No, they don't. They don't know it. Vital had the classics. One of the classics was that Erev Yom Kippur, the Rebbe was in his house getting ready, the mikveh, everything else, getting ready for Yom Kippur, and knock on the door. The, the, the simplest uh, farmer from the village comes in, he has to speak to the rabbi. Yom Kippur, we have to, he must speak to the rabbi. So they let him in, he says, Rabbi, my cow is giving, is, uh, giving birth, is giving birth, and what do I do with this? The rabbi told him, it's okay, do this way, do that way, send him off. So the Talmudim says, Rabbi, Yom Kippur, this is what you have to deal with. He said, you don't understand. He, he wanted some connection to some connection to something holy. So he wanted to talk to me, but what does he have to talk to me about? So he came with a cow. So Achaz used to come with cows, all kinds of ideas. But, uh, but one time he came with a very big cow. There was uh, the uh, radio station called Arutz Sheva, which was uh, broadcasting from a ship illegally. Supposedly they were outside of the waters of the territorial waters of Israel, but actually it was a, f- a fiction because anybody who stood on the beach in Tel Aviv could see them. But uh, officially they were outside. Anyway, they were, they were doing illegal stuff and a few years later they were shut down. So Ahaz came and he said, listen, I want, I have an idea how to make, give them a suggestion to become legal. That they should be, they should come up to, to land, and they will be the uh, radio, Ezori, the uh, district radio of Yudav Shomun. And now, anybody who knows anything about technology, since the 
Israel is a bit like, it's very narrow, so if they sit in Betel or wherever they want and their district in Rudav everybody will hear them in Tel Aviv, wherever they want. This was a very nice idea. I spoke to, uh, I don't know if I say his name, someone who goes with a stick, you know who I mean, which was the head, one of the heads of the, um, of the Ruz Sheva, and he came for a meeting. I was sitting in Rabbi Mital's office, Rabbi Mital, Achaz, this guy, and myself. And Rabbi Mital says to him, okay, this is the idea, what do you say about it? And it was like giving him on a golden platter, uh, you know, just to, to, to maintain that ship, costs them a lot of money. And they're doing illegal stuff. And here, when you come into land, you'll have everything. Because the idea was to start getting the things together again. So, and what was the Rabbi Mita's obligation? Why should he help the people who, if there, any, if there was any radio station which was saying very, very bad things about Rabbi Mita, it was Arut Sheva in those years. But Rabbi Mita again said, okay, we have a good idea, it can help, it will help for the atmosphere, let's, let's try to help, uh, help it happen. Um, this guy, since I didn't say, tell his name, only uh, the other is not like me, was very, reacted in a very um, unpolite way. And he said, ah, we're going to be in the, in the government in a minute. And he turns to me and says, you're a nice guy, maybe you'll come to work with us. And they didn't take the, the deal. Um, there was, Netanyahu was the next prime minister. Years passed, they never became legal. But uh, that's, a, that's a different story. But again, Rabbi Mital could have said to Ahaz, I like you, come for coffee whenever you want, but I'm not going to help these guys. But he said, no, arrange the meeting, because we have an opportunity here to help to, to, to get the, the, the pieces together again of, this, of, this, uh, of the people, so let's do it. I think you're starting to get, get the idea. Uh, the other thing we learned about from Rav Mital was to finish on time. So, uh, and to speak short. So that, I already talk, I'm already talking too much. There are many, many other stories. I tried to give you a few angles from different uh, areas. Um, as I said, for me personally, it was a very, very great privilege 
to, to be beside him and uh, close to him. Um, as years pass, I really, really miss him. I miss him personally, and I miss his, his voice, his public voice that is very, very missing, I think, today. Something more uh, balanced, something that sees not black and white, but there are two. Life can be more complicated, and you have to deal, deal, you know, look at the, the big picture and understand you have to give and you have to take and you have to balance. And uh, as I said before, you would think that as years pass, you say, okay, it was a nice rabbi, but I'm already uh, my own career, I have my own uh, family, I have my own. So when I look for a vote on Shabbat, I'll open the, uh, the Shiva's uh, uh, internet and I'll find what I want to say about Pashat Shabbat. No. He's more and more and more relevant in my life and I think his voice is really missing and I think we have a big mission to try to deliver his ideas and his way of thought and uh, the responsibility that he had to all of us. Thank you to Brahmi uh, Yishai and to Rabrin who uh, now uh, every day when you learn in the Beit Midrash and have an extra appreciation of uh, Ravami Tal who uh, started this all. Yeah.